The Guardian. Welcome to another Media Talk. Coming up this week, new times, new journalism. We give the verdict on Rupert Murdoch's latest innovation, the iPad-only newspaper, The Daily. Also in the podcast, David Cameron turns to the BBC for his new director of communications. Plus, FT editor Lionel Barber slams Fleet Street for a conspiracy of silence over phone hacking. And... Supposing, though, some of the people who ought to be paying taxes so the cunts cuts aren't so bad aren't actually doing so. Jeremy Paxman gets a mild case of the Noctis, but it's the Top Gear crew who cause a stink with their comments about Mexicans. Mexican car's just going to be a lazy, feckless, flat-tilted-over. <laughs> Leaning against a fence asleep, looking at a cactus with a blanket with a hole in the middle on as a coat. Taxi for Mr Hammond. I'm Matt Wells, and this is Media Talk from The Guardian. Joining me in the studio for another week of podcasting, Daring Do, is the Observer's media editor, James Robinson, and multitasker extraordinaire, Stephen Brooke. It's been a while that we've had the old team back together again. How are, how are the two of you keeping? How are you, James? Uh, never better. Absolutely good. fantastic. Thank you very uh, Good. Much. Stephen, how are you? Yeah, very good. I've had to uh, boost up my travel insurance because uh, I'm going skiing next <laughs> week. Yeah, I've been skiing, all right? So, you know, that's... The, the, uh, Already, already done it. I'm, 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 I'm just five minutes ago aren't I, compared to you, Matt. <laughs> okay, there's plenty on our agenda this week, uh, but we'll start in New York, where Rupert Murdoch has unveiled what he believes to be the future of journalism. At a suitably low-key launch at the Guggenheim, the Dirty Digger unveiled the Daily, the world's first iPad-only newspaper or news tablet, I suppose. Uh, Murdoch spent around thirty million dollars and employed almost a hundred journalists to get the joint venture with Apple off the ground. But will it be a flash in the pan or the next big thing? Our old friend Emily Bell is the director of the Tower Centre for Digital Journalism at Columbia University and she's on the line now. Uh, can you hear us up there in your ivory tower, Professor Bell? Just about. <laughs> I can just hear the voices of mere mortals. Good, good. Uh, so uh, enough of the hype, it's here. Is it any good? Well, uh, speaking as a punter rather than media pundit, no. I think that they chose the worst day probably of the year to launch it, which was they had a, a pretty kind of impressive photo spread of um, Egypt and the previous day's uh, events there, which, of course, really drew attention to the fact that there's no live news updating. Mm. Uh, and so whilst you were looking at these you know, enormous kind of peaceful crowds, actually, you were having a, a really major news story unfold. And, and, and this is the problem, which is you have an electronic uh, product and the expectation that you'll be able to uh, see updates, and, and, and it just doesn't. So in some ways, all the kind of clever functionality of it, and it does have some you know, pretty nice features, and all the good journalism, and again, they have good writers, and they have fantastic photography and um, good video, is just undermined by the fact it doesn't do what you expect it to do. It doesn't tell you about the news. Isn't the experience of the iPad different from that, say, of the iPhone or any other smaller mobile device which you expect to update, whereas the iPad is more like the magazine equivalent to newspapers, if you, um, if you see what I mean? You're expecting something more reflective. I don't know. I think if you call something the daily and you say it's, you know, oh, it's a newspaper, it's a newspaper on an iPad, then God knows why you'd want to do that. Um, you do raise a sort of certain expectation. And also there are apps out there like USA Today, which is probably the most analogous thing to the daily at the moment, which does update. Um, and you kind of find yourself thinking, well, and I, I mean, there, there, there's another feature of it, which is 
it does raise the expectation of it being more magazine-like. But actually, if you go into and look at the length of the stories, there are no really good long reads in there. And one of the things about um, iPad functionality is that actually people kind of do quite like to consume really high-quality, long-form content. Uh, and I was sort of counting the paragraphs in some of their stories, and I was just thinking these are actually these are actually quite short. So it sort of almost feels like it falls between two stools of neither giving you. I mean, somebody said, you know, it's, it's like I think our own Jemima Kiss said it was like uh, Grazia meets The Economist, um, <laughs> which, as I say, I, I actually wanted you know the London Review of Books meets TV Quick um, because. Otherwise, it, it's a very but, but it does feel like a very compromised um, product, and I think that editorially they will have to think that out. It feels too much as though kind of print has led on this, and and as though that that they've got lots of innovation in there. But the thing they haven't really innovated with yet is their journalism. So, is the fundamental problem that Murdoch doesn't understand the internet, or uh, but surely he's appointed some really clever people to do this for him? So, you know, they must have thought about all of this. Well, as I say, I think you know the kind of the design and the functionality. I mean, the design's a little bit confusing, but 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 they're trying they're trying sort of they're trying good stuff out, and he's got some great people on staff who really understand how to use the web. He's hired lots of people who um, understand how to blog. Um, Greg Clayman and Jesse D'Angelo, who are actually kind of in charge of it um are not necessarily kind of going to produce you know there's, there's nothing to indicate that they would produce uh the world's best uh digital experience and i think this is the other thing that actually you know you don't need to kind of weigh these things down with people with vast amounts of experience in in, in newsprint you actually need to get sort of a smaller number of people who are going to really kind of enthusiastically buy into the idea that this is something different. But it, but it does also speak to kind of Rupert Murdoch's antipathy towards the open web. And as I say, I think if you're in the news business and you're profoundly suspicious and, and dislike the open web, you're actually in a really difficult position when it comes to producing anything that people are going to want to consume. Stephen, what do you uh, make of all this? Well, my question would be, is there an audience for it? And is there an audience that is going to sustain uh, the vast amount of money that they've poured into it? And to me, the interesting thing is, is that do they? we know that Apple takes 30% out revenue from every app that is sold on its products. Does this partnership or what, whatever it is with News Corporation, Emily, mean that uh, news has got a better deal out of Apple? Um, well, it might have, uh, but as you say, Stephen, you know, with the, the sums of money that are being talked about are really quite substantial. You know, they're talking about, well, you know, Murdoch said it's only going to have a, a running cost, I think, of, of between sort of one and a half and two million dollars a month. That's still sort of twenty-four million dollars a year. That's still a lot of subscribers. And even if you get a really good cut from Apple, you know, it's ninety-nine cents a week. You have to persuade a lot of people to download it all the time. Uh, and I think that this is the other thing that they probably got wrong, which is they did launch with as many bells and whistles as you would find in a bells and whistles factory. Uh, and they had this huge kind of party and launch up at the Guggenheim in New York. Uh, and in some ways, you know, the most successful digital products tend to come slip out under the radar and are tested and used. And, you know, the, the, the people who are developing them learn, learn from that and then kind of improve them and you build up. And my worry is that so many people would have my worry for them is that so many people would have got their hands on it yesterday when actually it's, you know, it's clunky because it's difficult to download because everyone's trying to download it, that it's a really poor experience. And the one thing we do know about digital products is that when people have a poor experience, they don't come back very quickly. It's very difficult to get them to sign.
sample again. So I just kind of it just feels to me as though they might get it right over time, but my God, they're going to have to they're going to have to change a few things. James, um, do you, you, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I mean, I just think a soft launch would have been better for exactly those reasons uh, because you know you make a big song and dance about it, and then you're inevitably disappointed because you, you often are when there's a dummy issue of a magazine. You know, it takes time for or a first episode of a program. You know, it takes time for those products to find their feet. And I think, you know, I think just picking on reflecting what Emily said, the um, you know the the editorial product should be should be first. You know, should be paramount. And and I think that the risk is you do things just because you can do them rather than because you need to do them. And really, the the, the platform should be incidental to the product. You see what I mean? Rather yes. than define the product in the in the sense that I think that the, the daily seems to have done. Emily, all right. Um, uh, uh, what do you reckon, Emily? Will it be around uh, in 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 a year's time? They've made they've too much invested in this just to kind of you know warehouse it quietly. So um, I would expect to see sort of I would expect to see it around in a year, and I think it'll look really really different in a year. Um, but it ain't you know as I say it, it, it ain't it ain't all that. Um, you know we're still very very eagerly awaiting obviously here on the Upper West Side the launch of the um, Guardians iPad app, uh, and we um, we don't even need to say well we're saving all our pennies for that. So basically I think you know they just they're just going to be in a more crowded market. Yes. Um, so unless it gets better quickly, uh, I think that they're never going to reach the subscription levels that they want. Is the Sudoku any good though? This is what we want to know. Uh, I have been told by learned friends. I mean, I've looked at the Sudoku, but to be honest, um, it, it, I didn't. I didn't you're, really. You're not clever time. enough for it. <laughs> not, it was, uh, do you know what? Wasn't hard enough for me, Matt. <laughs> 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 not, oh, this is too easy. Prefer- I'll give it to the children to do. No, Sudoku app is, is Sudoku app is is quite smart. I was a little bit disappointed because I had been told it was going to be absolutely the best Sudoku app you'd ever seen in your life. So I was, I'm afraid I was back to iPad Scrabble last night. <laughs> okay, Professor Bell, we'll leave that there. Uh, there's more on the daily, including a splendid video review that uh, uh, Emily mentioned by uh, Jemima Kish on mediaguardian.co.uk. On now to our exciting news in brief section, and we'll start with the comings and goings at number 10 that I mentioned uh, at the start. Uh, David Cameron's replaced Andy Coulson with the BBC's controller of global news, Craig Oliver, uh, who he... Uh, James? Well, who he? He is Peter Horrocks, uh, who used to, who's a, now the head of the World Service, yeah. previously head of TV News, was re- reputed to be Horrocks' sort of uh, hatchet man, if you like. And I don't mean that in a positive way. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, no, he, I think he was, um, I think he's very, he's very, very well rated, very experienced, uh, ha- you know, journalist, hard nosed journalist, yes, you know, editor of the news at 10. Tenc- the tenc- sort of person, in fact, that would receive would be the person you'd call if you were a spin doctor in Downing Street unhappy at the coverage you've received by the BBC you know right. that there might have been some interaction on so there's a, a, a poacher turned gamekeeper but I think he's um, I would just wonder if Coulson's chosen Oliver actually rather than Cameron if, in, a, in a sense right I, I think he would have had dealings with him and, and thought, yeah. because thought he was the right man I doubt Cameron had even heard of the guy no because he's not not at all high, uh, high profile in fact you know uh, uh, he moved off from a relatively high profile job as I said from 10 o'clock news mm. to um, not so high profile job at the world service in uh, bush house exactly with the management you know the bbc management train you know the the, the next job on offer so i think it was destined for for good th- great things at the b but it'll be have an interesting interlude you know, to your sabbatical hear, at downing street I, I have to say i did hear that uh, oh, uh, i don't know how uh, what people thought of him at, uh, at, the, at the bbc domestic news but the world service people um th- were not that impressed they thought they thought he was a bit powerpointy fond of powerpoints Stephen. Partly? well does this mean he'll get on with steve hilton then 
Uh, he down went, in number 10. Yeah, he will. He probably will. Uh, do, uh, I mean, do apparently, we... apparently one of his presentations, he, he arrived at the, at, the, at the World Service and uh, did a PowerPoint with a pic- big picture of one Anderson Cooper, who's a not unfamiliar uh, face at, uh, at CNN and probably you know, well-known to uh, World Service people, you were thought, and said, do you know who this man is? I want to find the Anderson Cooper of the World Service. I think it was showing us a Ricky Gervais territory. Yeah, yeah, I think really. well, apparently it was. Yeah, anyway, sorry, I sort of interrupted you, Stephen. Uh, well, I'm just wondering now that uh, you know, Andy Coulson, obviously very important in terms of keeping News International on side and knowing how to talk to tabloid mm. journalists and their editors, do we now think that uh, it's Craig Oliver, isn't it? I nearly forgot his name. He's so low profile. <laughs> Craig Oliver, uh, is he is one of his day jobs to be to keep the BBC suite? So sort of shifting a, a priority for Cameron there. Yeah, not, not so much a Rottweiler as a sausage dog, uh, Michael White said in his Guardian diary column, which is, particularly, which is a bit catty for Mike. Well, I mean, you know. I well, suppose. it is, but then Coulson was very clear that he wasn't going to be that Alistair Campbell kind of, you know, fire and brimstone yeah. style director of communications. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact Craig Oliver has and indeed whether Fleet Street are impressed with him. It yeah, sounds like some of his see, BBC colleagues so are. So it was interesting to see how broadcastable fare as well, won't it? Because obviously the, the last few spin doctors have been had a press newspaper background so yeah. and the, the primacy you know the, there is a huge emphasis on broadcasting now obviously the 24-hour news cycle and so on um so perhaps that's a factor but i mean he does lack as you said you know that you picked up on the hilton relationship with hilton he does lack that sort of um sort of, it's a cliche now, but the essex boy yeah. sort of sort of background i know people right. talk about that but that is it, it does strike me as fairly important mm. well anyway to have uh, someone like that in the operation the yeah. crucial question is he going to wear a suit and tie to work an open neck shirt or a t-shirt why is this a, why is this quite well, because steve hilton's fond of t-shirts but andy coulson was a bit of a sharp-suited man wasn't he yeah yeah okay well we'll see um it'll be it, it, it will be fishnet tights because well he was he was wearing lederhosen wasn't it in, the, in that video i'm talking obviously sound of music sound of yeah. music that's what it was mm. wasn't it he was it was a um office karaoke thing or some kind of charity thing. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, he's not the only senior editor leaving the Beep. Uh, Question Time's head honcho Ed Harvard is leaving because uh, he doesn't want to relocate to Glasgow. Uh, I'm afraid this is true. I broke the news exclusively yeah. on the world-leading Media Guardian website only last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good story. Good story. Well done. Thank you very much, yeah. Um, okay, I mean, he's quite young, isn't he? Oh, he certainly was yeah, very, he's very, very young so when he was appointed. And he was, you know, handpicked by Dimbleby, David Dimbleby, the presenter right. of Question Time, to, to produce the, or to edit the show. Um, and the whole point of the, the, the story is that, it, that Question Time is one of the shows that's moving out, out of London, was based in London, now it's going to be based in Glasgow. Correct. But, I mean, it moves all, you know, although there's a nominal base, it moves around every Well, week. this is true. I, I mean, don't understand what the big deal is. Well, I think the big deal is that the production staff are all based in Westminster, in BBC's Westminster Studios, as I understand it, reporting to BBC News, and they feel that they have to be in Westminster to, you know, hobnob with the politicians and the to persuade celebrities them to come on. and do that. I don't think actually in this case, I'm pretty sure they, that isn't necessary. I mean, mm. I think you can relocate it to Glasgow, but clearly you're going to have talented people with the usual issue we've seen over the last twelve months: families. Uh, children in school in London and so on. So they, 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 they you know, they just don't want to move well, to Glasgow. Just, I mean, just, like m- many of us yes. wouldn't want to uproot and move <laughs> like, like four hundred miles away. Many of us away. wouldn't want to move to Glasgow. Yes. Well, no, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I would love to move to, you know, I mean, if the Guardian moved to Glasgow, I'd probably, you know, I'd be delighted. But the, you know, the, I think it's really? uh, all right. Okay. Well, really? yeah. Um, <laughs> don't, but, don't dig any different. No. Just, yeah, but it is. But this um, is though symptomatic. It, it is worrying. There are Sorry. big moves on. 
and the BBC, and I think your report mentioned the old Newsnight Review, which is now up in Scotland. Yeah, and well. that's, uh, I mean, it's a completely different programme, and it's good. I, I, I don't, see, don't see it's any worse. I don't know if it's any better, but it's no worse than it, than, than it was, was before. It's still an excellent programme, and um, I'm sure they'll find a talented editor. You know, uh, James says that, that, that you lose talent. Well, you just find new talent, don't you? Uh, well, and a programme like Question Time, you can imagine there's a queue. You can yeah. imagine there are emails pinging around to... <laughs> Dimble bots inbox you know, already the, saying, well, "Choose me, choose me." The, the, the question is, you know, you have to you have to ask whether David Dimble himself is is peeved. He, well, he's reportedly furious. Yeah, or well, was at least. I don't know he's come around to it now. I think I think he is quite angry. As I, you know, I, I think he's quite angry. Read more in tomorrow's Guardian. Okay, well, we'll. Uh, I mean, we'll I stay do tuned. think that the BBC is far too concentrated in London anyway. Yeah, moves like this yeah, can have their advantages. Exactly, it's fifty percent of all production to be outside London by two thousand sixteen is the aim. Well, you know, hurrah for that! Yeah. I mean, we all pay the license fee, not just Londoners. I think it's a great. I, I applaud the principle. Yeah. All right. Well, we, meanwhile, uh, Channel Five has signed up former GMTV presenter Emma Crosby to take over from Natasha Kaplinsky. This is ahead of a rebrand at uh, Channel Five. This is the Richard Desmond rebrand is about to happen, isn't it? It's, it's merely ten days away, uh, and uh, this just in: Denise Van Outen is to present OK TV, which is the uh, TV show that Desmond has foisted upon uh, Channel Five. This is all just going to be a complete disaster, isn't this, James? Uh, I don't know. Is it? I, th- I think. Um I mean, it's bound to be. Early on, I, th- um, I, you know, it was reported that he may be uh, looking at turning the whole of Channel Five into a sort of e-entertainment channel, hmm. you know, which is like a rolling new, you know, rolling celebrity news channel, which would be bloody a lot cheaper <laughs> to produce. I, I don't know. I think it would it would work. I mean, I, you know, speaking of someone who does watch e-entertainment. On a regular basis, I'm afraid. To, I'm ashamed to admit. <laughs> no, no, don't. I think, I think the, yeah, the, their red carpet shows are the best of the red carpet shows around. Hottest 100, all the rest of it. Yeah. Little, you know, very well produced, uh, you know, broadcasting equivalent of cuts jobs uh, on various celebrities and their life stories. I mean, I think. What's I think like? good for. I, I think it gets a thumbs up from me. I tell you. And there is a there is a movie premiere every other day in Leicester Square that mm. it could yeah. be perfectly well timed for that early evening slot when you're come home you you don't want something too demanding at that point until the news kicks in mm. i think if produced well they've got a real opportunity because oh. actually no one's really doing it are they yeah, no i think so yeah. well, all right from tv to radio where the latest set of radars are at uh, five live and talk sport have recorded their biggest ever audiences uh, mind you absolute seems to have hit rock bottom uh, radio two the nation's favorite station uh, it remains that uh, it's had another bit of a rejig this week um with joe wiley leaving radio one after 17 years to take over the evening show on radio two uh, which is because mark radcliffe and Stuart McConey are heading to six music um quite a canny move do you think for is that a good shift around james um, well, I, I, yeah, I think well, it's the problem, isn't it? It's that perennial problem of shifting some talented and popular presenters to a smaller station, mm. in the case of McCone and Co., you know, because they go into six music, you know, and you feel you fear for them, really, to be mm. honest. It's that whole Tim Westwood thing, but, isn't it? Uh, but, I'm but, just broadcasting to ten people. Yes. Is and it, will, they, will the listeners follow them, or, or will they abandon them? Well, this, this is presumably, Stephen, an attempt by Bob Shannon to capitalise on the... Um, to, to turn uh, defeat into the jaws of victory, whatever it's what I'm trying to say. You know, you know what I mean? The, the, the whole disaster over the six music, the handling of, of the six music proposed closure, and say, OK, now we're gonna, okay, so we're not going to close it. In fact, quite the opposite, we're going to invest in it and put big name presenters in it. It's a new take on the old mantra, back it or sack it. Yeah. And they tried sacking it, and that didn't work. So now they're pumping up. I don't know where... I mean, they've obviously dressed this up for Radcliffe and McCurney. Oh, you can 
build this station up and you know out of nothing and it's a bit of an emotion though isn't it mm. but yeah. more women on radio, radio 2, two which i know is a cause dear before. to your heart because you bring it up every second program yeah. uh so that's all good um and as to the future i think um you know that traditionally the radio 2 evening slot has been the purview is that a proper word yes it is. Uh, of the of those delightful specialist music programs but it sounds like shannon wants to stick with having a presenter-led mm. format for the couple of hours at least in the evening and joe wiley i mean why not mm, she's good i like joe wiley um uh, we, we should stick with you brookie because we'll just oh. move on to the press um and it appears that the love affair between the guardian and <coughs> julian Assange seems to be over he's uh, he's taking all his WikiLeaks over to the telegraph it would appear Yes, uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because it was actually quite a good story, the the Libyan story, I thought, but seemingly achieved with a lot less of the fanfare than the the Guardian would give its WikiLeaks. Well, wasn't it? I don't know. I think it, some of it had already been reported. Then mm. some of it had, but that crucial um, there was the, the crucial letter that had been written by the minister. I think was was new. Obviously, more to come though on that in the Telegraph. Having done so well with MPs' expenses, clearly convinced WikiLeaks, if not Assange himself, that they knew how to handle this kind of material. Although it was slightly, you know, reverse ferret, as I think our beloved Adam, boss Adam Rusbridge did point out in a, a, a tweet, because the Telegraph's Ben Brogan, who's deputy editor there, has spent a lot of time rubbishing our own WikiLeaks coverage. Well, this is suddenly discovered that it was the best, the WikiLeaks documents were the most sensational uh, documents of all time. So, but, you know, that's journalism for you, isn't it? Well, I mean, you work for a newspaper that backed the Lib Dems at the last election. How's that working out for you, James? <laughs> me, per- me personally, or do you want a corporate view? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think neither. It's all gone, it's all gone very well for, uh, for for him personally over there with, yeah, uh, with your um, yeah family connections. Um, we, we should finish up with an international uh, diplomatic row uh, because we, we like this. Yeah. Uh, it's been brewing uh, courtesy of uh, Top Gear. Uh, here's Jeremy Clarkson, James May and Richard Hammond reviewing a new Mexican sports car, uh, which they've already jokingly called the Tortilla. Ho-ho. It is not. It is not called the Tortilla. What is it it's, called? I can't remember. It's something a bit. So you just <laughs> made up the name. Yes, the I did. There you go. I've forgotten. Why Sorry. would you want a Mexican car? Because cars reflect national characteristics, don't they? So German cars are sort of very well built and ruthlessly yeah. efficient. Italian cars are a bit flamboyant and quick. Mexican cars just going to be a lazy, feckless, flatulent <laughs> over <opening. laughs> Leaning against a fence asleep, looking at a cactus with a blanket with a hole in the middle on as a coat. <laughs> It is interesting because they, they can't do food, the Mexicans, can they? Because it's all like sick with cheese on it. I mean, refried sick. Yeah, refried sick. How much is this Mexican sports car? The refried Mexican sports car is £33,000. Uh, there we are. That was uh, James May and uh, before him Richard Hammond and uh, the other one. Um, it, uh, oh, I don't know. Do we, do we care? I think this is all in a storm in a, storm in a tortilla chip. Uh, it's a, a storm in a tequila bottle, as yes. I was about to say. Look, uh, there's always a golden rule here. Has these utterances caused serious and widespread offence? Serious? No, they were just having a laugh. Widespread? No. The Mexican ambassador is certainly very annoyed, but I don't think any other people are. No. Uh, 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 do you, James, do you want to put the case well, for the I mean, prosecution? You know, uh, uh, wow, they're just idiots, aren't they? I mean, you know, they're like 10-year-olds, but, I mean, it's part of the... Part of the you know, I mean, that's just what the show is, isn't it? I just wondered what a British car is, and you know, maybe a badly-dressed, tall, privately-educated, 
boorish, <laughs> with uh, bad teeth, idiot, you know, unhumorous, highly paid, uh, highly repressed you know, emotionally, ex- you know, middle class Englishman <laughs> called Jeremy. I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah, something like that. Uh, there we are. Good, excellent. Because uh, we'll, we're not uh, remotely um, childish or offensive on this podcast, are we? Finally this week, what else but a bit of phone hacking. Uh, the, well, can't go a week without uh, mentioning it. Uh, the Financial Times editor Lionel Barber used his Hugh Cudlip Memorial Lecture to condemn Fleet Street's, quote, conspiracy of silence, unquote, over the, over the goings-on at the news of the world. Barber said he was certain other tabloids had been involved in similar practices uh, and their reluctance to report on the hacking was only because they feared being implicated in any investigation into the illegal activity. Uh, in his speech, uh, he took swipes at the Press Complaints Commission, News Corporation, the government, uh, and more, and warned that the end of self-regulation was nigh, with politicians now only too eager to clamp down on the newspaper industry. Uh, he didn't pull any punches, did he, James? No, and I thought it was a very thoughtful uh, mm. speech, actually, and uh, you know, very measured and he's right. I mean, that's the that's the great um, fear, isn't it? In a sense that, that that this will all lead to regulation of the press. We've been here before, of course, mm. it's periodically suggested and by prominent MPs, but very rarely, funnily enough, does it happen because the government in power uh, <laughs> balks at the idea because they're the ones who benefit from a positive press. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it'll if it'll end up like that. I mean, it's hard to imagine it won't end with a, 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 a you know some form of self-regulation that is, is more effective than the current form. That's Some kind true. of reform. Yeah. yeah, some sort of beefed-up PCC, which, you know, but, but um, I mean, he's right about everything else, of course. The, the, everyone knows hacking was widespread in, in uh, tabloid newspapers and elsewhere on Fleet Street, so... Uh, uh, but, yeah, but, it, but it's, it's interesting that it's taken a, it, it's taken until now for a prominent editor just to say to, to say that. I mean, he's a you know. Well, there's an unwritten rule, isn't yeah. there? The, 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 that there's uh, that that you you don't uh, attack other papers and proprietors, and that occasionally breaks down. But um, well, I, it's a rule that's, that Stephen does does seem to have broken down over over phone hacking with you know the FT and the Guardian and the Independent all pretty much um, uh, having ditched ditched it now. Yes, and we we saw. Um, you know, there was that ferocious incident of James Murdoch and Rebecca Brooks storming into Simon Kellner's office on an unrelated matter. But, yeah, there's lots of warring. And then you've got all these other papers that are desperately keeping silent because they don't want to be dragged in to the whole mess, which I thought Lionel pointed out very effectively in his speech. I think what we need is some kind of circuit breaker because imposed regulation, statutory regulation, will be in no one's interest Politicians are obviously on the war path. There needs to be uh, some sort of royal commission or commission of inquiry, expensive though that would be, to act as a circuit breaker with the powers to investigate for all the criticism of the PCC. The fact is they can't investigate properly. They can't compel people to come and give evidence. I think you need a separate body to deal with this issue on its own to free up the PCC to do what its proper day job is, which is very important which is fielding complaints from readers. Uh, and the police is yeah. the, I mean, the other thing is, the, it really is just going to end with the, the questions about the police and collusion with the tabloid press in particular and the relationship between the two. I mean, that's, I think, that's, I think this, this is going to end, uh, reflect, actually, it's hard to imagine the, at the moment in some ways, far worse on the police and their conduct hmm. than, it, uh, than it does on the press. And, and that's another reason why there should be an inquiry of the type Stephen describes, because the police are investigating themselves. I mean... It's ludicrous. I mean, yeah. the, the cops are really uh, need to be the subject of an independent inquiry. Did you see this leaked email from uh, Labour that um, that uh, has asked the party to go soft on criticism of Murdoch? I did, Murdoch fun, and I did funnily Spies enough, Gandhi. yes. 
Um, I think it's sensible for you know for the Labour Party to take that stance in a, in the sense that not to you know because that's the that's the instinctively that's what many Labour MPs and Labour Party members would like to do having been uh, you know uh, having after Murdoch has turned against them is indulge themselves and and well, and, 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 and attack Murdoch, which is what Tom Watson was um, doing on the podcast last uh, week, and you know, you know they're, they're all having a go. You need to ask questions about his, you know, about Murdoch. But I mean, you cannot. You know, it's just, it's just too easy to say this great. I mean, if it wasn't Murdoch, it would be someone else. I'm not, I'm not condoning any of Murdoch's, the exact uh, Murdoch's papers, the way they behave. But you know, it would be a Richard Desmond, or it would be a, a, a Daily Mail. So I mean, I think you just have to be slightly cautious. I mean, you, I, I'm not, I don't agree with the email personally, but I, I can understand the logic of not singling Murdoch out mm. necessarily. Well, we know that News Corp weren't the only ones involved in phone hacking. It was much more widespread. Uh, it just happens to be that... Well, they were the ones that got caught. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you can just see how everyone else has gone completely mum because they're freaking out that they're next in the firing line. Hmm. Um, I think Lionel Barber, just to talk about his, his speech just generally, he's, turned, he, he's a really thoughtful editor, isn't he? I mean, he's really sort of... Um, he gets a bit of stick sometimes because he can come across a bit, being a bit pompous and his, you know, all his emails and his fancy travel and all the, all the rest of it. He's, you know, he quite, but I, I think he's President a, Obama the yeah, other yeah, week. Yeah, name-dropping and all the rest of it. But that was yeah, a really so. good speech, and uh, I've, I've seen him make other... sort of When he makes, makes public contributions... There, yeah, I wonder who wrote it. Oh, right. Yeah. It can't have been him. He's just... He's just he's sort of, no, I'm joking. Right. He's a very clever, clever man. He's very yeah. clever. And I think that he, when he got in there, and that paper had been drifting, and his predecessor was basically had his contract terminated, I think is the polite way of saying right. it. And I just remember someone from the paper saying that uh, Lionel has an opinion about everything and mm. just challenges everyone on everything and it's a real wake-up call and he's definitely sorted that paper out mm, interesting sure. all right uh, thank you very much both of you uh, it's almost time to go but before we do um you ought to i'd like to share something that you've learned in the past uh, week with us um brookie what have you been up to you've you're, you've always got a tale to tell well actually uh, two little quick things there um we were talking earlier about magazine launches etc and gazetta which is the new bauer men's magazine which had a pilot issue uh, late last year, not very well received. Apparently, another pilot issue is on the way, but not a full launch yet. That's but this all. is the soft launch thing that you talk about. Sensible yeah. way of doing it. So, yeah. you, so you launch, you do one. It doesn't, you know. There's not big. There was no big thing about Gazette. It was noticed, and yeah. and you know there was criticism. So presumably they'll go in and try and fix. fix and stuff you like. save yourself millions of pounds yeah. in the process. Yeah, yeah. The other one is just an illustration of how incredibly small the British media pond is that relates to an anecdote that Lionel Barber told in his Hugh Cudlip lecture, which is how he started out in journalism, and he submitted a piece to ISIS, which is, I think it's the Oxford University magazine, which was rejected by the then editor. Who was? Mark Thompson. Oh, yes. Whatever happened to him? Uh, James, how, how was your week? Uh, yeah, very good, actually. I, I, um, you know, dipping my little toe into the political world, as I'm, as I'm able to do now, thanks to my partner's you know, burgeoning, frankly, quite yeah. sickeningly successful career. This is Gloria um, Pierre, M- MP yeah, for what's the condition? Ashfield. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was at a fundraiser actually for the for the set of aforementioned Gloria last night, which is which is great because I, I had to pay hundred pounds to have dinner with my own girlfriend. <laughs> um, but I did, uh, you know, something. Oh, never mind. I was just had to pay hundred pounds not to, but that's unfair because. Uh, um, but she, uh, but I didn't. I mean, let, let, I, mean, I learned a lot of things. Ed Balls gave the keynote speech. Which All right. Remarkably good. And uh, 
I learned that he has succeeded John, Alan Johnson if, in the last three of his jobs. So he stepped into Johnson's shoes with Shadow Chancellor before that, I think, health. Yes. It just makes me slightly suspicious, that. I don't know. Mm, yes. Can't we find you a, a Midlands seat adjacent to the partners, <laughs> James? I think that would be wonderful. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll stand as a Lib Dem. Oh, I've got, yes. what, I've got my, I, you know, I agree with Nick T-shirt on underneath this shirt. Yes. Uh, Just to make the family, you know, domestic, uh, you know, dip meal times meat. more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, you'll find links to everything uh, you've just heard on our blog at guardian.co.uk slash media talk. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Well, in fact, we're all on Twitter. Have a look for uh, Matthew Wells, uh, SD Brook, and James RO47. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Does, yes. Uh, or and our producer, uh, Green Ben Green. Follow all four of us for a heady mix of media news, gay gossip, loveliness, and updates about living with a cat. And an I'm a Phil Baby. I'm Matt Wells. See you for more media talk next week. Goodbye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.